ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, our sprawling continent has a bounty of beautifully diverse creatures. And while some may be big and benign, people around the world are obsessed with Australia's tiny and toxic creatures. And we have a few of them. (laughs) These creatures' notoriety has sparked some, well, ourselves included, to turn to science to find out more about them. Now, some you may know about, but others I don't think you will. So on Overnights this morning, joined by Professor Brian Fry, a professor of toxicology from the University of Queensland, here to tell us all about our venomous wonders and tell us why uh, some bites might hurt more than others. And the professor's on the line. Hi, and thanks for your time. No problems at all. They're, they do fascinate the world, don't they? I mean, because uh, forever on American television, they're talking about our toxic and venomous creatures. So, and they are fascinating, aren't they? Well, they are. You know, we always have a bit of a fascination for the things that kill us. You know, we like the macabre. That's why, you know, like with the evening news, the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So uh, just about you first, what sparked your interest in toxicology? Well, I mean, first up, I was not a normal child. I mean, we can all agree on that. <laughs> but uh, my actual very first memory is being ravaged by toxins. The first thing that I remember is actually being in the hospital with spinal meningitis, which oh, is, geez. yeah, still a diagnosis that even today terrifies doctors and parents. Like there was a outbreak a few years ago in Queensland where I think it was 14 kids came down and six of them died. Yeah. And if you survive it, you're not going to get away untouched. Like I got away about as light as you can get, and I, that which was permanent deafness in my right ear and pretty dodgy balance. Right. So for my very first memory, you know, I have this, you know, awareness of these invisible substances that can change your trajectory of your life, you know, quite radically. Yeah. And then that was combined with stories. My mom, who grew up with um, UN workers from Norway as her parents. So they lived all over the world. They lived in Africa a couple of times. So they had pictures of cobras in their garden. They even had a black mamba come into their house one time. They had a baboon viper on their tennis court. So I fell in love with these creatures and then discovering that they had these invisible substances and were able to kill the same way that yeah. the bacteria almost killed me yeah. just made it unnatural. So it was you know, a childhood dream mm. to study these things. And of course, you know, Australia's the place to be. So moved here 25 years ago with a one-way ticket, no intention of ever going back. You're great. And uh, we love having you. Yeah, personal experience. <laughs> that's that's often a springboard to uh, to doing something with your life, isn't it? A personal experience like that and very, uh, well, life-changing for you. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm fueled by a you know, weapons-grade sized bundle of survivor's guilt, you know, that, you know, very, you know, deep emotional angst that you get of, you know, why me? Why did I survive? And you feel happy about surviving and then you feel guilty about being happy because that means that you're happy as someone else dying, which of course you're not, but, you know, survivor's guilt is, you know, a very good way to, you know, really turn a little kid's, you know, head inside out. Yeah. All right. Let's go through all of this. Is this a silly question to ask you? Is there a difference between venom and poison with our critters? Um, it's not a silly question at all. And, you know, so often these terms are used interchangeably, but they're not. And it comes down to the size and the biochemical nature of the toxins. So poisons are very small toxins, like tetrodotoxin that's in pufferfish. Yeah. These are toxins that can absorb through your skin or absorb through the lining of your stomach when, you know, upon ingestion. So they don't need a wound to enter your body. And that's a poisonous animal versus right. 
a venomous animal, they're very large toxins. These are made of proteins. And they, you could take a bath in it and it wouldn't do anything. You could drink it and it would just be a protein shake. Right. It needs a wound to enter the body. So that's why you have like the stingers of a stingray or a bee or this you know, tip of a scorpion's tail or the fangs mm. of a snake. All of these are you know, part of that combined you know, integrated weapon system to deliver those different biochemical type toxins. Yeah. Now, before we get to the uh, the critters we know mostly about, let's say I'm out for a walk uh, in the bush somewhere and I see a caterpillar. I mean, would I be able to tell if it was poisonous or venomous or, or not? Well, you know, if you're the smart monkey, which I wasn't as a little kid, you know, my very first envenomation was actually from a caterpillar where I was the dumb monkey who picked up the soft-bodied, brightly colored animal that's brazenly out in the middle of the day, flashing all these warning colorings that were just, to me, beacons to the Dark Lord. Um, <laughs> so if you see something that seemingly is defensive yet is advertising its presence, you got a pretty good indication it's going to be venomous or poisonous to some degree. Okay. Right. Now, here, uh, some of the lesser-known venomous and poisonous creatures we have. Let's start with snakes and spiders. Now, I know all about uh, brown snakes and red-bellied blacks because I've got them at home, and my theory is if I leave them alone, they'll leave me alone. But uh, what about the snakes? Gee, we've got a lot of venomous snakes here. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your philosophy of if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone is true because none of those snakes are going to view us as prey. They're only going to view us as a potential predator. Mm. So they're only going to bite if they feel threatened. So the way to think of venomous snakes is they don't start fights, they end them. Mm. And we have, you know, a huge diversity of those. We've got a myriad of different types of death adders, tiger snakes, taipans, brown snakes, rough scaled snakes. And we've got, you know, Australia is truly the lucky country where we actually have more venomous species of snakes than non. About mm. 70% of our snakes are venomous. Yeah. Well, we've also got, uh, and we, we love him, her, you know, a beautiful diamond python at home who keeps uh, the rat population down. Now, we know that he or she is, is not venomous, but you know, for some people, you know, a snake is a snake. Hey. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is that if you do the wrong thing and try to kill it and get bit in the process, you don't have the divine right to throw yourself to your knees, raise your arms to the heavens and plaintively cry, why me? <laughs> <laughs> because you were a tool, that's why. Exactly, because it's a very good way to put it, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> All right, now, so the snakes, uh, again, that philo- philosophy is great, but uh, with some of them, gee, I mean, I know that not too many people die of a, of a snake bite because we know what to do by and large, but gee, with some of them, you've got to get to the hospital pretty quickly, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is why the philosophy that we you know, sort of you know, preach is that it's better to be in the hospital and not need to be there mm. than not be in the hospital and need to be there. And the example we use for that are brown snakes, where not only are they the only snakes in the world that can regularly kill people in under 15 minutes, for the first 13 minutes, you're feeling fine. And then you fall off a cliff for those last two minutes. So death is sort of sudden and uneventful. I mean, uneventful for everybody except the person dying and everyone surrounding about them. But it's more that you just fall off this cliff. So you don't have warning. And by the time you start feeling a bit crook, it's 
virtually too late if you're not already in the ambulance. Yes, exactly right. Now, what about, though, uh, as you say, the first response of some people is to, you know, get the gun if they've got one or, you know, something to, to kill the snake with because they're frightened of it. But, I mean, what part do they play, snakes in particular, in our very unique biodiversity here? Well, to put it you know, this way, you're more likely to die from or get ill from a virus spread by a mouse than you are by you know being getting bitten by a snake. So yeah, if you yeah. wipe out the snakes, you're actually increasing the bigger problem. So if you see a snake, you know by all means, you know we're sympathetic that not everybody's going to run towards it the way that you know I do. Yeah. But just behave calm. Call your local parks and wildlife. They'll put you in contact with a licensed snake catcher who's able to come out and remove what is actually a protected species. Snakes mm. are just as protected as a koala. And that it's safe for the people and safe for the snake, you know, in this removal, and they'll charge you a very nominal yeah. fee to do that, and you're much likely, much less likely to get bit than if you try to do it, you know, kill it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Just on that, there was a story around probably a week ago of a fellow who wants to retire as a snake catcher, but he can't because no one wants to take the job. I imagine, you know, it's probably not the most popular profession on the planet. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's one of these ones where. Most of the people who are doing it are charging, like I said, just a pittance relative to the risk and the level of training that they have. And they're doing it because they're passionate about the wildlife. They want to keep snakes from being killed. And in some of the smaller towns, there's obviously going to be a much thinner talent pool. So it could be a case in some small towns that there may be just one old bloke who's the only one competent to remove the snakes yeah right all right now that we know about the venomous ones but what about the ones that are just painful uh, look i got a story for you um i was just doing some gardening and uh trimming some trees and i got stung i don't know if it was a wasp or a hornet or what it was on the side of my forehead oh professor i, I think it's the most pain i've been in for not a very long time, but my goodness, it was a painful thing uh, to the point where I said to my wife, I, gee, I think we might have to call the ambulance, and then the pain dissipated. So um, what's the most painful bite you can get from a critter here in Australia? Is that you able to say? Well, um, well, there's a lot of really painful ones where you know, you've got things like the bull ants, have been stung by them, they're you know, absolutely horrible. Yeah. But I would say that far and away, you know, this one goes up to 11 kind of thing, would be the Irukandji jellyfish and that's because the pain that they produce is equal to anything out there it lasts for up to two weeks it doesn't respond to morphine whatever pain pathway it's turning on is not the one blocked by morphine but beyond that it also triggers and you know in in addition to the physical pain it causes a tremendous psychological pain where Mm. i've heard patients say in almost in identical words of this impending feeling of doom that they have and this overwhelming just anguish that they go through and this mental distress to the point that they're the epitome of how any envenomed patient needs to be treated for the mental injury as much as the physical injury. And these Mm. poor patients end up with legitimate PTSD and require therapy afterwards because it's just such a horribly torturous event for them to have gone through okay so where would be we be likely to encounter the irukandji well you know as it turns out there's more species out there than what we thought Mm. they were first discovered up in northern queensland around palm cove and then now it looks like there's several species capable of producing the same envenomation syndrome stretching from brisbane up all across the top and then down past broome 
Um, you find them up around the coral reefs in the tropics, and they're also you know a good illustration of why you know rather than using chemical sunscreens that are getting, going to damage the reef, whereas a you know stinger suit not only is that a better form of sunscreen, but it'll also protect you against these you know, invisible right. stingers that are only about the size of your fingernail. Right. All right. Now, on that subject, I mean, uh, my producer and I are both uh, uh, beach bums. We love the beach. There is the blue bottle. Now, that really hurts. But you've also got, oh, goodness me, box jellyfish, the hellfire anemone. You've got to say that slowly. And the stingray. And, of course, regrettably and, uh, you know, tragically, it was a stingray that took Steve Irwin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, with the uh, stingrays, I mean, really, the, you know, the stingray, oh, no, it's not, it doesn't sting. It is absolutely agonizing. The three, well, my, the top three events I've had pain-wise in my life would be, number three would be a, sting, a scorpion sting that I had in the Amazon. Yeah. Number two would be a stingray that put its bob um, all the way through the meaty part of my thigh into the, you know, all the way down to the bone. No, and it God. took breaking my back in three places to exceed that pain. Mm. Although I got to say, actually, you know, I got to downgrade all of those because of the Lego I stepped on last night in the middle of the night with <laughs> my daughter. Oh my God. <laughs> or kick, yeah. Oh no, the road to hell is paved with Legos. <laughs> Could I add to that kicking the half on your fireplace? I do that on a regular basis. <laughs> my little toes hate me. Look, uh, t- tell the listeners about, because I don't know much about the Hellfire Anemone. Oh, well, it's about as much fun as it sounds, where yeah. a mate of mine got drilled by one of those on a collecting trip, really severe neurotoxicity, could barely get out of bed for two to three days, Gee. was in absolute agony and refused to ever participate in the research. <laughs> <laughs> but we even have something that even more fun, where Australia has the only plant in the world that's technically venomous. It has hollow spines and the um, ven- liquid venom that comes out of it, the gimpy tree and you know these stinging trees are i've been hit by them and oh my god do they hurt and then they produce this bizarre temperature reversal where if you put your hand in hot water it feels cold if you put your hand in cold water it feels like you put it in scalding water so it has this bizarre effect to us and there's actually been a death in new guinea from one of these you know death from a stinging tree wow goodness me well um (laughs) Gee, no wonder everyone's concerned about coming here. We've got plenty of them, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything wants to kill you, or even yeah. that little mammal. He wants to. He just can't. So, I mean, how likely are you to find uh, any of these things? I mean, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, as Steve Irwin sadly and tragically was, well, it's, that's it for you. But uh, is it un- unusual to encounter any of these that we've discussed? Oh, absolutely. It is actually, to put it in perspective, 85% of the Australian population lives in the half dozen capital cities. Yeah. I'll put it in this way. On a really bad year in Australia, two people die. That's the death rate every 10 minutes, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out in India, where in India, 50 to 100,000 people a year are, kill, are killed by snakes. A million are bitten. And of the survivors, about four to 500,000 of them lose a limb or a kidney. You know, they have severe permanent injuries. So if you look at the, you know, disability as well as the death, the, you know, it's an absolute war zone in places like India. So Australia, it's, you know, we have an absolutely trivial impact compared to places like India. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before we leave the stingrays, I mean, Botany Bay was originally called uh, Stingray Bay by either James Cook or by uh, Joseph Banks. And do we do we have less stingrays now than we had then? Uh, because you still see them, particularly down around the south coast. 
Oh, we probably do because you know, rampant overfishing and fishing and overconsumption in yeah. the natural world has depleted everything. Right. Yeah. But you know, we still have stingrays in all of our bays, just like, you know, Western Australia has shark bay, but you know, what's so special about that? Every bay has sharks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we haven't, the, the box jellyfish, would you be unlikely to encounter one of those? That's Queensland mainly, am I right? Yeah, well, Queensland up through the NT and popping over a bit into WA, um, you're very likely to encounter them if you go swimming, you know, like around Townsville and things like that outside of the nets. They're very common, particularly this time of year. And the box jelly and the stonefish are the only two animals in the world where you have two ways to die. One is the venom causing cardiovascular collapse, and that happens about 20 to 30 minutes after the envenomation. But before then, within the first minute or two, you have a chance of dying where you are in so much pain, you die from the pain alone. Wow. Your body goes into shock and so long and thanks for the fish. Yeah, <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm speaking with Professor Brian Fry, Professor of Toxicology, about all of our little beasties and we've got plenty, well, little beasties and, and big beasties. All right, well, that's them. Uh, and as far as the Irukandji is concerned, I mean, that's it, hey? Top of the tree, pain-wise. Absolutely, because of the physical pain and the mental pain. You know, a classic case of one plus one equals three. Okay. Now, uh, the spiders, as we all know about the funnel web, we all know that this time of the year, and it's been particularly wet and humid and, and they're around too. I'm told that they can um, bite you. The fangs can get through like a, a hard fingernail. They can bite so hard. Yeah, they have very strong um, chelicerae, which is just the fancy word for their fangs. And, you know, where a lot of people get bit is when they net them out of a pool thinking they've got a dead spider at the bottom of the pool. Yeah. But the spider has trapped air underneath it as it sinks to the bottom. And they can actually stay for a day or two at the bottom of the pool and then bite you as you take them out of the right. um, net. So, yeah, it's, you know, the funnel webs are, you know, a real issue. And we have some 42 species of them all up and down the eastern seaboard and extending all the way over to Adelaide. And they certainly are a real problem. That's why if you live in some of these areas, don't leave your shoes outside. And no, if you have, no. you know, give them a good knock before you put them on. Yes. Well, I do live in one of those areas and we do exactly that. Yeah. Where does, uh, uh, fortunately, never been uh, bitten by one, where do they, their, um, where's that rate on the pain scale, a bite from one of them? Um, they're quite painful, but the redback is much worse. Oh, and particularly right. with the old jokes of, you know, how do you know if a redback's in the outdoor dunny? usually by the screams. And that's because if you are an unfortunate bite victim who's a male and bitten up on the outdoor dunny, you can imagine what part of your anatomy is going to get bit. And oh, characteristic oh. of redback bites is intense local pain at the bite site. Yeah. So the more nerves at the bite site, the more it's going to hurt. Yeah. All right. Goodness me. Uh, uh, we haven't even discussed the crown. Was the crown of thorn starfish is another one, isn't it? Yeah, and you know they're incredibly painful, but they're actually one of my favorite animals. I think they're okay. remarkable. I think they're beautiful, and they get an incredibly bad rap because in all of these, you know, sometimes almost hysterical news reports about their, you know, them being in plague proportions, which yes, they can be in you know, incredibly high densities. Not a single one of them mentions that they're actually a native species. Even my wife wasn't aware of that till I, you know, mentioned it to her. Oh. That you know, you get the impression that they're like a cane toad, but they're not. They're a native species that's symptomatic of how perfectly of a job we've done of screwing up the environment where we've overfished the, you know, like 99% population declines of their main predators, the big marine snails. And mm. then the agricultural runoff is stressing their prey, which is the coral. 
And then as we all know, you know, if you're stressed, your immune system is going to crash. So their prey isn't able to defend themselves as well. So it's the, we've created basically a crown of thorns Hilton and it's not <laughs> their fault that they're flourishing. You know, they're, yeah. you know, they're just doing what they do when, you know, it's, you know, you know, a scenario we've created. Yeah. So I'm thinking if you really don't know what you're doing, don't touch anything. Yeah, absolutely. Admire, yeah. you know, looky, but don't touchy when it comes to anything in nature. <laughs> you know, admire it from a distance because some of the animals, even, you know, even the, you know, innocuous ones, if you try to pick them up, you might stress it out to the point that it dies just from stress or it can be weakened from stress. You release it and it gets gobbled by the first whatever that swims by. Yes. And is that a true statistic? We keep saying it. Do we have in Australia the most venomous creatures on the planet? Um, yes, no, maybe. Where, uh, okay, like with the right. snakes, you know, we, certainly the taipans and brown snakes lead the world, where it's like Australia and swimming, you know, where it's one, two, daylight, everybody else. Yeah. But the, you know, the rest of the world catches up very dramatically. So like that idea that we have the top 10 snakes as popularized by Steve Irwin is completely wrong. Okay. It's a misreading of a 1978 study by Straw and Sutherland, who's one of the godfathers of Australian venom research, where... His top 10 snakes just happened, or actually almost an entire top 20, just happened to be Australian because 90% of the snakes he included in that study were Australian. And he had a handful of things like rattlesnakes that aren't terribly toxic, mm. you know, for an equal mass um, included in there. So it was, you know, a complete misreading of that. And then there's also the fact that the drop for drop comparison only takes you so far, you know, to put it in comparison a eastern brown snake is about twice as toxic as a coastal taipan, but a coastal taipan will inject over 10 times the amount of venom. Ah, right. And then, of course, you know, any of these kind of studies is, you know, they're just academic. It's not like that one's going to kill you so much deader than that one. You know, dead is dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, around your home, what about uh, that sting I was telling you about uh, from a wasp or a hornet or whatever it was? I mean, have we got uh, species of those that are more dangerous, venomous, painful than others? Uh, well, our ants are definitely, you know, the bull ants the and bull ant, jumper yeah. ants are definitely among the biggest and most painful in the world. Like I got stung by one in the field one time, straight onto my left nipple. Oh. And that's when I discovered that Ow. even though the male nipple may be physiologically pretty useless, it's still got a lot of nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God, did that hurt. <laughs> uh, what about these other, God, uh, we should just stay at home. What about these other things we've been talking about lately? Fire ants, what about them? Oh, don't even get me started. It is just, you know, right, really? if you want an example of, you know, government incompetence at work, you know, the fire ant is the perfect example where when they were first discovered, you know, in the early 2000s, that was a time to, you know, stomp them out. But instead, the states and the Fed argued back and forth of whose responsibility it was. By mm. the time they you know, put a couple of drops in the funding bucket, they had already spread. They declared war over a couple of times, despite, you know, no one informing the fire ants. And yeah. now they're already all the way down into New South Wales. So, yeah, they are extraordinarily painful. Um, they're not so much, you know, individually painful, but rather that, you know, you get, you know, you get mass stings when you, if you fall into a nest, you're going to get, you know, 50 oh, stings out of them. Yeah. So, yeah, they're a huge problem. They're also a big problem on the allergy side of things where the sting may, you know, put you in enough pain that you want to kill yourself, but the allergy may actually do that for you. Mm. So from an allergenic public health perspective, they're a huge hazard indeed. 
Yeah, I'm putting on my jammies and slippers and I'm going to stay home. I think. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, <laughs> yes, that's my chocolate. <laughs> oh, before I, let, before I let you go, we're always saying, uh, you know, complaining about the convict ships that brought in, you know, rabbits and foxes and cane toads, all of the introduced species. How many of the critters we've discussed are actually indigenous to Australia? Well, all except for the, um, the fire ant and the cane toad. You know, okay, we, right. Yeah, so, no, we have, you know, we have, we have you know, a good selection of homegrown toxic nightmares here. <laughs> and look, we really love them. I know you do. We love them, don't we? I mean, they're ours. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you should, you know, to put it in perspective, yes. if you know of anybody who takes high blood pressure medication, odds are they're taking Captopril or one of its derivatives. That's a drug that was invented over 40 years ago in 1976, approaching the 50-year mark now. Um, and it remains today, almost 50 years later, a 10 billion dollar a year market whose economic and medical and social importance cannot be overstated and that's a modified snake toxin yeah very good point and you know here in new south wales at uh, at summersby uh, lots of people still take funnel webs in there to be milked for the venom which is very important yeah well that's you know we're all you know the um australian reptile park at gosford do an incredible service of milking each year and that's, you know, where people are taking the funnel webs. And that's the sole supply of the vital venom needed to make the antivenom. Yes. And since Strong Sutherland invented the antivenom in the early 80s, there has not been a single death in Australia. That's how good of a product it is. It's wonderful. Isn't it? And what about, again, before I let you go, the milking of snakes? Is that going ahead uh, nicely for us as well? well uh, yeah. So the Australian Reptile Park and Venom Supplies over in South Australia are the two sole suppliers. Great. for the production of snake antivenom in Australia. Yes. Embrace our critters, just keep away from them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, take a picture, you know, it'll last longer. <laughs> it's been a delight to talk to you. I thank you very much. And again, before you go, uh, you have a YouTube channel and a website. Tell the listeners so they can go and find you. Yeah, um, well, the website's inventively named Venom Doc. You know, V-E-N-O-M-D-O-C. No, right. it's a lot long and hard with that one. <laughs> so venomdoc.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. And the YouTube channel? Oh, that's, uh, there's a link up to it from there. Okay. Professor Brian Fry, Professor of Toxicology from the University of Queensland. been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much for so Thank much time. Thank you very time. much. Okay. Have bye-bye. a nice day. Yeah, bye-bye. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 